This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Since the original request was stable, Shaw's proposed to sell their wireless division, Freedom Mobile, to Videotron. This would require my approval to transfer the Spectrum licenses. As we look forward, I want to make clear, very, very clear, the lands to which I will consider this proposed transfer of license. First, I am giving notice that any new wireless licenses acquired by Videotron would need to remain in their possession for at least 10 years. A new service provider needs to be in it for the long run. Second, I would expect to see prices for wireless services in Ontario and Western Canada comparable to what Videotron is currently offering in Quebec, which are today, on average, 20% lower than in the rest of Canada. The proposed Roger Shaw merger was back in the news last week as Canadian industry minister Francois-Philippe Champagne held a midweek press conference to announce that the original deal was dead, but, as you just heard, that a rework deal that brings in Videotron might be a possibility if certain government expectations on restricting the transfer of Spectrum licenses and on consumer pricing outside of Quebec are met. Now, even with ministerial approval, the deal must still pass muster with the Competition Bureau, which is challenging the merger. In fact, soon after I recorded this podcast, it was announced that mediation talks involving the Bureau and the companies had failed. Keldon Bester is the co-founder of the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project, a fellow at the Centre for International Governance Innovation, and an independent consultant and researcher working on issues of competition and monopoly power in Canada. He's been one of the most insightful and outspoken experts on the proposed Roger Shaw merger, and he joins me on the podcast to discuss where things stand and the big-picture weaknesses of Canadian competition law and policy. Keldon, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've joined. You know, we're recording this just a couple of days after Francois-Philippe Champagne held a, a late afternoon press conference on the Roger Shaw merger. Now, in the aftermath of, of that press conference, some of the coverage saw the announcement as confirmation that the original Roger Shaw merger would not receive government approval. But I think it's fair to say that others, most notably the stock market, saw it differently. Namely, that the government had effectively telegraphed that it was okay with a revamped merger and was establishing what I think some perceive to be some pretty easily met conditions. What was your take on the announcement? Well, you know, certainly uh, closer to the latter. Um, you know, I think what the minister signaled was that I said in particular was not going to be a big barrier to this settlement. And, and the re market reaction that you referenced, uh, I think, reflects that with, with both of the companies seeing a, a pretty substantial bump. Um, but uh, although there was some reporting initially that the minister had rejected a deal, you know, you're correct is that that deal had actually been rejected by the Competition Bureau months ago. And, and we've had a couple of iterations uh, from the deal since. Yeah, no, I'm glad you glad you mentioned that and the, the role of the Bureau, because I think for a lot of people, 
you know, they've heard about the this perspective Roger Shaw merger for a long time, but it gets pretty confusing pretty quickly given all the different layers of approval and the way this has meandered over time. You've been outspoken on the merger, raising some significant competition and consumer concerns. And I want to come to some of those pieces you've written in the Globe over the summer and, and one seemingly within hours of the minister having given his <laughs> press conference. That was pretty impressive. Um, but before we get to that, can, can you walk me through what that approval process looked like? The minister noted that there were really three, the, the CRTC, the Competition Bureau, and then ultimately the minister himself. What do each involve and where do we find ourselves right now? Yeah, so given it at a high level, we've got, as you said, the CRTC, I said, and the minister and the Competition Bureau. And you know, all three of those are important. The CRTC and the minister are focused on, you know, very particular elements of the deal, whereas the Competition Bureau is looking at the entirety of the transaction. So, so quickly, you know, the CRTC, um, that's really focused on you know, the broadcasting aspects and, and the licensing and approvals that are associated with, you know, our broadcasting regulatory regime. And, and you know, there's a broader public interest focus um, and they were able to gain approval, you know, with some conditions around programming, spending requirements, things like that. But so there's that broader focus, but it is really narrowly um, targeted to broadcasting. And, and it was entertaining um, in some respect when when the, those you know, public hearings are being held because so much of it ended up being about telecom, because I think that's what's really the big red flashing light here. And, you know, that might have been at the at the detriment of the broadcasting conversation, but but, but that's how it played out. So that moves on to the, the minister and, you know, what, what he's responsible for is the transfer of spectrum licenses, which are, you know, of course, a, you know, key input to offering wireless service. And, you know, this is a much less, you know, of course, relative to the CRTC, this is a much less public process. And the criteria really are, you know, up to the minister um, to decide. And so, and we can talk about this more if you'd like, but I think that's reflected in the settlement, both or sorry, in the statement, both you know when it came out and the structure of it. It's 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 largely up to the to the minister's discretion. And then and then finally, and I think what the uh, main show is uh, now, especially, is is the competition bureau's review, which is looking at the entirety of the transaction and determining whether or not there are competitive concerns. And so the scope. Uh, initially is the entire transaction. But as we've seen um, with, by the arguments that the Bureau is putting forward, that, you know, that's been narrowed um, beyond just the, you know, transact, beyond the, every element of the transaction and, and to be largely focused on wireless service, although with connections to the rest of the telecommunications business. So, you know, the CRTC, they've given their approval. I think that was about a year ago. I may have my dates wrong. We now have the minister's conditions, which, which, as you said, and again, we can go into in more detail, don't seem to be a, a major hurdle. Um, so eyes really are on the Bureau and the Competition Tribunal, which is kind of the competition court, the first step for any civil competition case, um, as to see as is the tribunal, one, does the Bureau take it all the way or, or reach a settlement or a consent agreement, as they're often called? And or does the competition tribunal accept or reject uh, the arguments that the bureau is making? So three levels, two effectively, well, at least certainly one has been cleared. We see the path to clear the second, uh, but the competition bureau's case is 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 you know picking off hearings within a week or so, 
and that that could still be a major hurdle for the transaction. Okay. I want to make sure we touch on some of these competition issues and the bureau issues uh, in a few minutes, because you did highlight it specifically in the piece that you wrote uh, this week, as I said, just after the minister's announcement. But if we go back a bit in time, you've been skeptical about this merger for some time, both in its original iteration and then even uh, more recently with respect to some of the so its evolution as they've the companies have sought to bring in some some third parties. So why don't we start with the original one and then get into the, the role that Videotron might play because you certainly got the attention of the company itself with some of your concerns <laughs> there. Uh, starting with the original Roger Shaw deal. Now obviously even the minister himself says that he's has concerns and wouldn't approved wouldn't have approved it. But from your perspective, what were some of the concerns with the original just Rogers and Shaw merging together? Well, you know, there are, there are a number of angles, but I, but I think the real, um, you know, unsurprisingly, the, the the thing that really set off alarm bells was, you know, the acquisition of what is often referred to as a maverick competitor by one of the um, incumbents uh, of Canada's big three uh, telecommunications carriers. And, you know, I think in, in some ways, a, a real signal that some of the burgeoning wireless competition in Canada that we had seen over the past you know, a decade um, could really be extinguished um, as a result of our, our weak competition laws. So, you know, why I think that's an issue is that uh, you know, looking at you know, mergers in other markets, uh, even our own, uh, recently looking at Bell MTS or uh, T-Mobile Sprint or AT&T T-Mobile going even further in the States, I believe this deal will have immense cost to Canadians and really set back hopes um, and the sort of light that we saw at the end of the tunnel that we might be building up some more real competition in our wireless market, you know, something that we're going to need if we're going to build this, you know, modern digital economy ultimately rests on a foundation of affordable and accessible telecommunications. And, and I think this, that original transaction, uh, you know, especially in Shaw's wireline footprint, which is where they're able to bundle in British Columbia and Alberta uh, really as a, really as a setback, um, in terms of the you know, limited, even limited progress that we had made, you know, thinking more about the merger itself, you know, we're we're about, we're about to head into what seems like a recession, and you know, a lot of the efficiencies arising from these mergers um, really are layoffs. So, you know, there's an additional cost that we actually count as a benefit to mergers, but you know, folks in Western Canada who were working hard for these, you know, new regional competitors. You know, they're looking at they'll likely be looking at layoffs if this transaction is completed. So, you know, going back to that maverick uh, competitor, I, I think it really was um, kind of a worst case scenario, short of one of the big three trying to eat one or the other. And and if it goes forward, and I should say, if the original transaction had gone forward, but it really still does pave the way for future consolidation. You know, if this merger was to sail through, how much longer would we have? Sasptel or Eastlink or or even Videotron. So I had a very visceral reaction to the to the um, the boldness of the original acquisition, and and really really anchored on the the costs. I thought, and I continue to believe that the Canadians will bear if it goes through. Now, clearly, there was opposition. Uh, people in the private sector raising concerns. The government, uh, the bureau, and others. You know, quite clearly, were uncomfortable with elements of this that led the companies initially, according to reports, to think about bringing ExploreNet on board. That didn't really go very far. And now, looking at a possible deal with Videotron. 
Can you talk a bit about uh, what we think is being con- contemplated? And then what are some of your concerns with this rework deal? Because you've been on record as suggesting that even bringing Videotron in uh, doesn't fully address some of these competition concerns that you've outlined. Certainly. So, you know, we have um, at least some picture of the deal from the public filings as a result of the uh, competition tribunal process so far. And, and I do think that's actually a real virtue of one of the virtues of the Bureau challenging this is that we actually build, you know, unlike the CRTC, um, the Competition Bureau can do a lot of work um, behind closed doors, as, as we saw at Bell MTS. But here we build up this really rich public record. Um, and, and, and that includes, at least at a high level, the structure of this Videotron deal, um, as far as we know. So there's three main elements to it, is there's the transfer of Freedom's entire wireless and apparently a, a wireline uh, subscriber base. I wasn't aware of the latter um, from Freedom to Videotron. You know, notably, that doesn't include Shaw Mobile, which is um, customers that have bundled you know, Shaw Home Internet with a, you know, heavily discounted uh, wireless offering as, as part of a bundle. You know, it also includes what they call uh, transitional services uh, provided by Rogers to allow for you know, what they call a seamless transfer of ownership um, without any sort of disruptions for customers. And third there is, and I, and I think this one is a really interesting one and, and hints at the weakness of, of these kind of remedies is what Rogers to, is to provide something they call ongoing ans- ancillary network access services um, to freedom. And, and the argument from, from the parties is that these services, you know, given by a competitor, are, are going to make you know, what they call new freedom a more effective competitor uh, than it is today. You know, in the recent reporting this week, it was also mentioned that Rogers is willing to include fiber infrastructure assets. You know, we don't know what that means, but clearly from, you know, the point of submitting their original um, proposed settlement, they've sweetened the deal with, you know, some sort of additional asset transfer. Um, but, but we don't have a lot of insight to that as, as the public. I was just going to say, you know, my concerns with the deal remain the same. Um, and although Videotron is certainly a more qualified buyer than ExploreNet, just in terms of scale and experience in the wireless space, we're doing something that we really like to do in Canadian competition law, which is we we take actually existing competition and we trade it for the hope of future competition. And, and in particular, going to that third part of the remedy, relying on the idea that an incumbent competitor will be a good faith partner to the remedy buyer. Um, you know, further to that, I'm also, I, and I continue to go back to this, I, I, I seriously must be missing something. Because I, I still don't understand the logic of how a firm with a smaller balance sheet is the solution to this problem when we're saying that this larger firm is arguing and you know accepting that argument, which I don't think is a given. Freedom Shaw is saying it doesn't have the scale to make these investments, these next generation investments, allegedly. Um, but now we're expecting Videotron, still a, a large company, but but relatively smaller, that they 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 have the scale. And so so that argument never never really sat right with me. So again, it's that creating actually existing competition for the hope of future competition um, and, a, and, a, and the idea that this smaller player uh, won't simply turn around and you know, make the same decision that uh, Shaw has, has done. You know, you incorporated some of this in a piece that you 
you co-wrote together with Ben Kloss in the Globe and Mail. It attracted a fair amount of attention, including from PKP, from Pierre Carl Peladeau, who took issue with some of your arguments. Uh, care to respond at all to what he picked up on and uh, how you see things? Well, first of all, we were very flattered that uh, that Mr. Peladeau took the time to respond to our op-ed, and so so that we accepted that compliment certainly. You know, the bulk of his response was, you know, the argument that Videotron actually is going to be a good competitor and you know, looking at their track record in Quebec and, and the good work that they that they really have done there. You know, I, I'm a Fizz customer myself. That's a Videotron flanker brand. So, you know, Ben and I are aware that uh, uh, that Videotron has the potential to do this, um, you know, to, to, you know, to do a good job and be an effective competitor. And in some response, in some ways, our response is, you know, why wait? Um, why should the cost of this expansion be another Maverick pay- player that, other than Videotron, has been one of the most disruptive across uh, Canada's, you know, telecommunication market? Um, you know, we there's a there's an even better world where both Freedom and Videotron are expanding their respective footprints. You know, using a and we can talk about this later the CRTC's what they call the facilities-based mobile virtual network operator framework. You know, if, if we had two Maverick players in Canada, I think Canadians would be much better off for it. So, you know, it comes down to why should the cost of this expansion be another promising uh, Maverick player that, and, and again, uh, you know, as Mr. Pillow said, Videotron may do a great job, but we're coming back to this trade actual competition for the hope of future competition. Given where we're at right now, uh, and given the most recent announcements, announcements, it, it does feel like there's a bit of a roadmap that's been laid out, uh, noting, of course, that the, much of this still depends on where the Competition Bureau uh, and then the tribunal ends up. You know, Is that right? Uh, you know, What were the conditions that the, the minister set? And are there any barriers that you can think of that might emerge in the coming uh, weeks or potentially months? We can start with the criteria that the minister laid out for for his approval, and, and then we can talk about the barriers remaining. And and although these conditions, these two conditions that uh, Minister Champagne laid out, I think sound good, um, and, I, and I detail this in, in my most recent piece, I, I do think they fall short of being you know meaningful constraints uh, on any kind of settlement. So you know, let's take the first piece. Uh, the minister says there will be no sale of any transferred spectrum licenses for, for a decade. Um, and, 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 you know, again, that, that sounds like a long time, but what, what, what he's really saying is he's putting a best before date on competition. And if we look at what we've learned from Bell MTS in 2017, there was a, you know, different scale, but similar settlement where there was a restriction five years before spectrum licenses could be resold, you know, almost uh, exactly, not, not quite, but five years after the fact, we have Bell MTS um, leaving the wireless market uh, and looking to sell those wireless licenses. So, you know, 10 years is longer than five years. That's true. But it really is uh, kind of a timer on when we could expect, you know, Videotron to turn around and, and maybe take its business in a different direction and, and look for a buyer for itself. And, you know, anecdotally in, in the sector, we know there are agreements that last well beyond uh, a 10 year time frame. So, so I don't think. Although it sounds um, meaningful, it, 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 isn't a, it, it isn't a true constraint and doesn't guarantee Canadians who need competitive wireless markets for a lot longer than 10 years 
any sort of real protection. But the second, the second piece is, I think, even more problematic. Um, although, again, it, it sounds good. Uh, the minister said, you know, we expect Videotron to bring down prices just like it has in Quebec um, in any markets that it expands to as a result of, of this settlement. So first off, we set aside the administrative complexity of how we would even measure this. Um, you know, the minister said 20% less than the national average. Well, you know, that again, it sounds very simple, but, but as we saw with, uh, with the government's goal of reducing uh, cell phone bills by 25%, you know, what you're measuring and how you measure it is, is a big question. Um, but as Ben and I pointed out, and, and you know, uh, PKP disputed, although I, I think our read of it is still correct, you know, freedom is already pricing more aggressively than Videotron in the markets that it serves. So, you know, and I, I'm probably stealing a line from my own writing, but what the minister is really asking here is to say, you know, we just want to make sure things don't get too much worse. And, and that concept is really, you know, broader than the minister, broader than this transaction. But the idea of making things worse, but at a, you know, an acceptable rate really is how we approach all mergers in this country. But, you know, finally, what I would, what I would add is, we really don't have, on the pricing thing in particular, we really don't have recourse if Videotron doesn't make good on that promise. So if, as opposed to the spectrum sale restrictions, you can, you can stop somebody from selling a spectrum license. But you know, we can't put Shaw back together again if, uh, if Videotron doesn't make good on this 20% price reduction, you know, however defined, really. I wanted to pick up on, on one of your last points there about sort of the bigger picture competition issues in Canada. And here's a quote from the piece that you most recently wrote in the Globe, and it kind of ties together a number of the concerns I think that you've had that you've expressed around competition law in Canada. You said a dominant firm buying a disruptive rival in a market where Canadians pay some of the highest prices in the world should be a non-starter. But Canada's weak competition laws lead regulators to craft complex and risky solutions instead of simply saying no to harmful mergers. Uh, can you can you give us a, a sense or your views on on why that is? I think like a lot of people who look at the sector sort of would, would would stand up and applaud and say yes, it's exactly what's what's happening. Why is that what seems to happen in Canada? Well, you know, this is a that's an excellent question and and one that we can go you know as far back in history as we like on. But but I think you know we have a set of laws focusing on merger laws where the, the guiding principle really is getting the deal through. And, and the idea of saying no is, is quite foreign. And so to, to focus on, and I think this is actually an, an, an understudied topic, the idea of remedies, which is what, you know, a slightly fancier word for solutions in, to harmful mergers in Canada. You know, the Bureau, I think, is doing a great job, and they've done this before, is that they're asking for just an outright block. This transaction is harmful, and the cleanest, most you know, surefire to be effective way of preventing those harms is uh, to just not allow it in the first place. But elements of our merger law um, make that kind of remedy unpalatable to, you know, judicial bodies like the competition tribunal and the, and the higher courts. I mean, that's a result of, you know, elements of the law and also jurisprudence, but, you know, 
two things that I mean, two, two elements in particular is that one is that the tribunal and the bureau are guided to use the least intrusive method possible to address competition concerns, or that rather instead, what is preferred are these complex remedies where assets are divested, new competitors are spun up, behavioral requirements, you know, a requirement not to raise prices, a requirement to lower prices, all of this very administratively complex and extremely difficult to measure, let alone execute. The second element of it is that we actually accept a loss of competition uh, even when we do, uh, even when we, we, we gain what we consider a successful remedy. So in, in Canadian competition law, and this is, this is not unique, you know, the test for competitive harm is called a you know, substantial lessening or prevention of competition. And the standard in Canada is not to maintain or to restore competition. It's to remove that S, remove the substantial from a substantial loss of competition. And so by um, being less favorable to straightforward remedies and by accepting a loss, many of the remedies that we even consider wins, I think really don't deliver value to Canadians. And, and as I say in the piece, you know, make things worse but just at a, a more acceptable rate. The icing on the cake is that the Bureau has no way to evaluate whether or not a remedy was successful. You know, their information gathering powers are quite limited. And so we have all these, you know, there's been something like 80 some odd consent agreements. We really have no evidence, hard evidence that, um, that those remedies actually solve the competitive issues they were aiming to aiming to solve, even with this weakened standard. So even well beyond Roger Shaw, this is, this is a weakness that lays at the heart of every merger that is challenged in Canada and our solutions that we try to bring to it. It sounds like the problems that we face seemingly on a fairly regular basis, where there is this lessening of competition over time, is, is destined to continue given the lack of tools for the enforcement agency and legislation that, that doesn't do a good enough job in terms of prioritizing the competitive environment for Canada? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think one way to think about it is you know, we talk about this should be a non-starter. And I, and I have a short paper out with CG laying out you know, a number of recommendations across the different elements of a merger. But I think what we what we need in Canada is is laws that do just that is that they deter these you know as I said before these bold acquisitions for being put forward um, and instead incentivize firms to you know grow on their own independently and organically and to compete with their rivals as opposed to figuring out how to you know, um, acquire them with some overly complex remedy. Um, that allows us to feel like we did something. So if you're, you know, the way you phrase it is correct. If we, if we don't change that underlying logic, there will be another Roger Shaw. It will, this, the process will play itself out. Um, and it will only, you know, concentration begets concentration. It, it will only become bolder than we can even imagine right now. Well, Kelda, that's, that's a, a bit of a depressing place to, <laughs> to end in terms of where things are 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 likely to head, that this isn't going to get better unless there's a real concerted effort to to change some of the fundamentals in terms of what it what merger policy and competition policy looks like in Canada. But I suppose part of the part of the path towards 
doing better is at least raising awareness of of where we're at and understanding that Roger Shaw is a is a symptom. It's not just a of, of a larger problem. And so, thank you for for joining me on the podcast and, and breaking down both that merger and some of the some of the bigger competition issues facing Canada right now. Well, thanks so much for having me. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.